Everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. So without further ado, I will introduce to you now my mystery partner, led to the ring by his manager, Brother Love, weighing in at 320 pounds from Death Valley. I give you The Undertaker. <laughs> the Undertaker, the mystery partner is now revealed. I never heard of oh, him. Yo, monkeys, it's me. It's DDP. And you monkeys, right now, you're listening to one of the greatest wrestling podcasts of all time. I'm talking about Scheduled for Two Falls with my boys, Kieran and Niall. This is NXT superstar Dominic Dajakovic, and you're listening to Scheduled for Two Falls with Kieran and Niall. Hey, this is Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man, and you're listening to Two Falls Podcast with Kieran and Niles. Don't miss it. Welcome to Scheduled for Two Falls with Kieran and Niles, the wrestling podcast where we break down the industry one topic at a time. Hello, Niall, and welcome back to Scheduled for Two Falls. Two Falls. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, good, good. Um, great to come off the Ken Shamrock episode. So for anyone ah. listening who joined us new to, new to, the, to the game, yeah, you're very welcome. Uh, good feedback from the Ken Shamrock episode in my world, Niall. What about you? Yeah, Sam, I had a um, big MMA fan. Jimmy Highland, James Highland, contacted me. His first episode he's ever listened to. Absolutely loved it. Gave us a five-star review on Apple. So that was pretty awesome. I actually went to UFC 229 with him in Abu Dhabi. Uh, so he knows the stuff and he absolutely loved listening to Ken Shamrock. He said he even enjoyed Shamrock's um, wrestling career afterwards. So that was pretty sweet. I hope you come back this week, James. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... Pretty much unanimously positive. I think a lot of people just surprised to see Ken Shamrock on our podcast. But, you know, be surprised no more because Ken Shamrock will not be the last guest on this podcast. We shall not say any more than that, Niall, but uh, it's nice to mix it up with a guest every now and again. So it's not just you and me, you know, it gets a bit exactly, stale. Exactly, yeah. Does it get stale? Does <laughs> no, it, I don't excuse know. Excuse me. Know. <laughs> <laughs> um, where can uh, people find us, Niall, on the Instagram? On the Instagram, you can get us at Two Falls, uh, all letters, or at Scheduled for Two Falls. That's the number two. Uh, on Twitter, we are at Scheduled for Two F One. That's the numerals two and one. That's at Scheduled for Two F One. And email Scheduled for Two Falls at gmail.com. That's the number two, Scheduled for Two Falls at gmail.com. Uh, what's the story, Niall, with the uh, professional wrestlers botching the name of our podcast when they come uh, on? 
so funny, isn't it? It's either my name, your name, or the podcast name. Uh, I don't know, maybe... Yeah. He just caught, what did he call it? Two Falls? Yeah, Two Falls podcast. Uh, but Ken, in fairness, you know, he, he took time. He got the pen and paper out to write it down. He botched it the first time. He did it the second time. And I don't think you and I had the, the heart to tell no, him. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Ken, would you mind repeating that for a third time? So we just let it fly. And now I think it's a gimmick. I think it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, great. Yeah, look, is, feedback. Is also a part of your gimmick dressing as other uh, podcast hosts? Uh, no, don't understand. I noticed today you dressed as Kenny McIntosh from uh, Inside the Ropes. <laughs> it's a tribute, tribute show? Uh, yeah, whatever, Niall. Uh, it's <laughs> fashion. Seth and Kenny shopping the same stores. Uh, I thought I'm, you were surprising me with a guest. No. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm wearing a woolly hat uh, for, for anybody who's uh, not watching on live stream or a video. Anyway, Niall, what are we talking about today? Today we are paying homage to one of the all-time greatest. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, recently put his uh, career to rest in peace, The Undertaker. Nice. Yes, we are celebrating 30 years of Taker, as is pretty much everyone in the wrestling world, but it would be remiss of us not to do something on The Undertaker. Undertaker is his household name. There's not many of them left in wrestling, but Undertaker was certainly one of the last household names out there. Before we kick in on The Undertaker, just a quick reminder to like and subscribe our podcast if you're listening and you enjoy what you're listening to. Uh, If you click subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you follow us, it will appear automatically in your feed. And it means we don't have to uh, to spam you with all the links each and every week. So we would we'd greatly appreciate that if you'd like and subscribe. But anyway, The Undertaker, he is Mark Calloway. And he recently retired age 55 after 30 years. Mark, um, we're going we're gonna to run Niall through this episode in, I suppose, we're trying to find a unique way or something to, to, that's not being done out there at the moment to celebrate The Undertaker. And we decided that we would do that by celebrating his title wins, his world title wins in WWE stroke WWF. And there are seven of them. Interesting, isn't it? Seven, just seven, compared to some of the other title reigns out there. Would you have thought he'd have more? Yeah, like I always knew. There's another stat that's kind of hidden behind that is the uh, only one Royal Rumble win, you know? Mm. Uh, between like seven title reigns and one Royal Rumble. And I know we'll get to why we think the reasons behind that is later, but... Yeah, it's surprising that there's only seven, considering some people who are around half the time, a third of the time, have multiple, multiple title runs. Yeah. So The Undertaker would be, uh, he would move from WCW. Uh, he had a one-year stint there from 1989 to 1990 uh, under the name Mean Mark Callis. But he would join the WWF, at, as it were, at the time in 1990. And he would debut with Brother Love as his manager, who would be quickly replaced by Paul Bear. He actually ran a funeral home as uh, kind of to supplement his income. So he knew a hell of a lot about the the embalming process and the funeral uh, side of things. So he, he apparently was very helpful for The Undertaker. But, I mean, what a cartoonish uh, gimmick uh, in, in Paul Bear as a manager and The Undertaker. And we are going to fast forward immediately to 1991. That's Survivor Series. Undertaker is there one year and he's already in a world title fight against Hulk Hogan. Who better? Niall, what does The Undertaker, like Undertaker as a character... You know, what an impact on our on our childhoods. Oh, yeah, big time. And it's actually, 
interesting you say that because if you notice during the entrances of this match, this wasn't the the taker entrance that I suppose has become synonymous with the character in later WrestleManias and pay-per-views. But this, the, all the camera kept focusing on the kids and the reaction of the kids in the crowd. And I suppose that's the impact that had the same impact that had on us. The first time you see Undertaker, you're kind of freaked out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, particularly at that version of him with the weird makeup and the weird hair and that, as you said, weird manager in, in Paul Bear at the time. So, yeah, definitely. And, and WWF knew that at the time that this would have an impact on kids' nightmares. Yeah, kids were terrified in the audience. So we're here. It's Undertaker versus Hulk Hogan. It's Survivor Series 1991. It's 17,500 people in a sold-out arena in Detroit. And it's going to run 12 minutes and 45 seconds. So, it, you know, a, a nice, for any world title fight, 12 minutes is quite an easy watch. But this is one year into his run. He's only 26 years old. And arguably, he looks slightly older here than he will in another nine years' time because of all the makeup and the gaunt, zombie-like costume that he's he's wearing. Before we get going on this match, shout out to Hulk Hogan's music. So awesome. It gets me hyped. Every time. As soon as he came out, I was hyped for this match. Every time. (laughs) I was was doing the ear thing off my balcony, over the balcony, you know. Uh, and dogs are like yeah. as much as he's a despicable character he is in real life um when it comes to early 90s cheese he's he's the greatest of all time it's it's just so interesting because we're going to go through so many different eras of wrestling here as well we're going to go through the cartoonish early 90s we're going to hit the attitude era we're going to hit the i suppose the re- ruthless aggression era into the modern era and every time taker has evolved no, you're right, though. Like, as you kind of alluded to there, the evolution of Taker, that was the key to his, his longevity and success, I suppose. His costume also, compared to what he gets to later on in some of those WrestleManias, it's so basic. Like, just black material, I'd say they picked up in, a, in just a random seamstress Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure my mother made uh, an equal quality Undertaker costume for me for Halloween around the same time. And really bad loose grey gloves as well. Like they're like they're gonna fall off him. Like how how he made this work is such a it's a uh, testament in uh, itself. Yeah, he's such a legend. Anyone else would be laughed at or or may laugh at it when they were mm. handed this costume. So more True. power to him. It's a back and forth match with Hogan selling really good for Taker, as you might expect, kind of putting him over, Taker no selling a lot. But even here, Niall, you can see how good Taker is. Everything is really, really precise. Yeah. And uh, I suppose it's it's like any actor you know on stage he's he's elaborating and putting emphasis on all the big beats you know and just nodding is forgotten he just knows he's so yeah uh, and i think on, on that point as well like we talk about how slow and methodical this match is and to the modern eye it might be a little bit boring but it is designed with the, their i suppose contemporary audience in mind yeah and it works for the contemporary audience it's very much a hulk hogan match designed for the big hog and comeback at some stage to get the crowd going nuts. But like you said, the, the precise nature of Taker's work, uh, it's like, it's a pantomime. It's a performance. It's not really a wrestling match. And it's all designed to elicit emotion from the audience. And to judge the success of the match, did this work for the 1991 audience? Absolutely. Yeah. Taker gets a card, chokes Hogan out in the corner. Hogan's starting to fade. Undertaker eventually chokes Hogan out. He hits a tombstone. Gorilla and Monsoon says nobody's got up from this before, before he finishes it. But Hogan actually gets up and completely no-sells the tombstone <laughs> one year into Taker's career here. What is... What, 
I wrote there, Hogan with the absolute no sell on the tombstone would not have happened at any other time of Taker's career. Insane that they had, you know, sold it so quickly into the career. I don't remember that. I always just thought the tombstone was, was, was sacrilegious to break, to get out of it right up until like Austin era. This is one year in and Hogan, not only no sell, like it's one thing to kick out. He jumps back up. Like he bounced off his head straight onto his feet. <laughs> Insane. That, um, I think he was on his feet before Taker was. Flair comes down afterwards. Uh, we covered a little bit of this match in our Ric Flair road to Royal Road to WrestleMania 92. Flair comes down uh, after Hogan hits a leg drop. Bearer, that's Paul Bearer, distracts Earl Hebner. Taker hits a tombstone on Hogan and Flair places a chair underneath it for extra effect. One, two, three. Hulkamania is dead. Oh, referee's lost control of this one. Look at this. Flair with a chair. A steel chair. Taker would hold the title for six days before, Luke, <laughs> before losing it back to Hulk Hogan uh, at this Tuesday in Texas, which again, we covered in the Ric Flair episode. Yeah. Hogan, Hogan just doesn't stay down, does he? A man doesn't know how to stay down. My favorite part of the whole match was in the background, you could hear constantly Paul Bearer in his kind of high-pitched voice screaming, the power of the urn. The power of the urn for probably seven of the 12 minute runtime of the match. I was howling laughing. I was also howling laughing at uh, Hulk Hogan, no sell the tombstone, and the fact that I, I, I know what comes next with this Tuesday at Texas and the failed pay per view con- um, concept from, from Vince. Yeah. But, um, so, a six, yeah. day, six day title run to start to kick things off. And unfortunately for Taker, a lot of these runs are extremely short. He wins them, yeah. the title, and then lose it. I'd say combined days reign, he's way down the pecking order. Oh, totally, yeah. Um, yeah, so in, in summary on this match, uh, it was, it, I suppose it was more to do, really, wasn't it? To do with Hogan and Flair. Taker yeah. got the title reign, great, put the title on him, but. You know, when they're only giving it to him for six days, it's really obvious to uh, to get that taker, uh, or sorry, that Flair Hogan feud moving. Yeah, and that's kind of a, a kind of like this is what Vince used to do back then. You know, he he when San Martino dropped the title after eight years, it went on to a guy who held it for twenty odd days, and he, he had very short transitional champs. Um, and well, now sorry, thing, didn't, sorry, didn't drop here. This is a transitional champ from Hogan to Hogan. To Hogan, but it does lead eventually into the Royal Rumble and the No Champ kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. It, it's it's it starts a chain of events that um <clears throat> kind of it's just I I don't even know why they put the title on Taker here. I don't I don't understand it, but they could easily have done a DQ finish and got their just a rematch at this Tuesday in Texas, but in any case, look, 
it's good for Taker. Get him a title reign under his belt. Also, he, he pins Hogan on a pay-per-view. So, title reign number one, done. Surely we're going to have another one in the next couple of years, Niall. No. We're not. 1997. We're all the way up to 97 already. Six years into Taker's run for his second title reign. And this time he's up against... Seven years in. Or six and a half. Sorry, yeah, yeah. So up against Psycho Sid at WrestleMania 13, which is also just a bizarre time for this match to even take place, considering that Psycho Sid should be nowhere near WrestleMania main event by the time 97 comes along. But Vince loves big guys. This, I suppose, look, why, why is Taker not getting these runs? He... Early on in his days, um, I mean, he'd say it uh, about when he first got to wrestle Bret Hart, it was finally a chance he could show that the world that he could actually wrestle because Vince threw him in against all these big guys who couldn't wrestle mm-hmm. uh, or, or wrestled a certain style, you know, like Giant Gonzalez in 93, Kamala, uh, he had a big feud with Kamala very early on, Yokozuna, uh, pretty much anyone who was the fake taker, anyone who, anyone who was a big kind of, rival who looked like they were unstoppable you know you'd take him on or throw him in with taker that'll do him and then th- that lot would disappear forever and taker luckily would somehow be able to move on to something else um but yeah we're, we're up to 97 here there's a there's an interview with sid beforehand and it's not actually that bad and probably taped but sid he's one guy this this is this is what he describes himself as he's the one guy who's not afraid of the dark side and that's because he's the master of the world I know that we this said a lot in his promos and his uh, inability to do them. And, you know, there's tons and tons of botches. But the way he delivers that line, because I'm the master of the world, I was sold. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to watch this match. I'm going to give it open mind watching. And maybe I shouldn't have done that. But in any case, (laughs) (laughs) but he had me. He had me with the master of the world. Taker comes to the ring alone, Niall, and it's much more elaborate than six years earlier. Yeah. Funny though, because some, th- some things that change, like the way he turns on the light, like you know the way he used to, or he now would put the lights up using his hands really, really slowly, bring them up. So they brought that in now, but it's obviously very new. And he just he goes really suddenly up with his with his hands yeah. to bring the lights up, and not a, not as effective. So obviously, someone in the production department said, "You know what, Taker? If you do that slowly, it's it's much more effective." But the way he comes down, the crowd are into it. They love Taker. They obviously know he's a spectacle. But Paul Bear is not there because he turned on Taker a few months earlier in that Mankind feud. Yeah. And then Sid comes out. Sid looks a million dollars, in my opinion. Absolutely. Totally jacked. Exactly. The world title looks great on him. It does. That's the good news. The bad news is this goes 21 minutes. Yeah. And Shawn Michaels is on commentary. That was absolute terrible news as well. Um, did you notice, right, it took Shawn Michaels, because he got the full entrance before the two guys, it took him eight minutes to get to the ring. He, that plays music twice. He slapped every single person's hand from the moment yeah. he came out on both sides of the aisle and then went all the way around the ring. What? How much time were they looking for? I don't know, because Vince was on commentary. Vince was going crazy with him. You could see Vince was like trying to fill the air on commentary. He's like looking at Shawn Michaels. He's like, would you just sit down? But do you think his music twice? But do you think it had something to do with the fact that they had 21 minutes of a take or Sid match coming up and they're just filling the, the time because they're like, if we don't slow this down, we're going to have half an hour of a take or Sid match. Maybe because the three entrances in total took close to 20 minutes. Outrageous. I was like, I'm fit to lose my mind because I knew I had to sit through a 21 minute Sid and Taker match. 
and I just wanted to get it over with. Yeah. And then it, it turned into 40 minutes with all the pluses and bells and whistles and stuff, you know? So HBK comes down and he's wondering on commentary who can lock on their finishing move first. HBK thinks that that's going to be the big thing. So clearly that's going to be the story of the match. And by God, did they harp on about that the whole way through the match. Uh, but before kind of things kick off, Bret Hart comes out and yeah. uh, he, he, he runs his mouth, uh, talks uh, some guff against HBK, Taker and Sid. Sid hits a powerbomb on Bret. Like now, instantly. Just, there was no struggle from Brett whatsoever. I, who, who is the face and who's the heel here now? Oh, I have no idea. I See, think Undertaker's the face. It's very difficult to tell. I, I, the way the commentary you're talking at the start, it's like Sid is slightly the face. But if Sid is, the, is, is a heel, then why did they get him to, to, power, to powerbomb Brett? Brett Hart. I, I have no idea. Brett had just turned heel that night. Yeah, exactly. It was crazy. Starts off, slow plotting match. Mm-hmm. And there is a bear hug after two minutes, which goes on for three minutes. Yeah. And the worst thing is that this is in Chicago and they know all about wrestling and they are just not into this. Well, I, the, the Shawn Michaels stuff was actually borderline unwatchable. Or un, yeah, it was. It was terrible. Vince says a note that... W- <laughs> Vince says that a note was handed to him via Gorilla Monsoon that both competitors wanted this to be a no-holds-barred match, which it now is. This is, <laughs> this is like six minutes into the match. I think Vince j- justifying the fact that the lads are outside and there's no count-outs. Yeah. Vince is like, oh yeah, uh, a note has just been handed to me <laughs> from Gorilla Monsoon. It's ridiculous. So we spent two minutes on the outside. Then we get back in and Sid hits a camera clutch for another minute. So they're really, yeah. really... This time, like 21 minutes of this we got here. Uh, Sid continues to beat on Taker. What happens? They go outside again and they repeat the same spots. What I will say is for a four-man commentary boot, I thought it was less jarring. I know HPK is unlistenable, but I thought it was less jarring than some four-man commentary boots. Like I wasn't annoyed with them talking over each other the way King, JR, just the fact you had King, JR, Vince and HPK all on commentary at the same time. Did you, what do you think? Um, anytime Shawn Michaels spoke, my ears bled. So I think after about the five or six minute mark in the match, I literally tuned out commentators. Like every week I have notes on something funny the commentator says. I don't, I don't remember one thing any commentator said in this match. We're back into the ring and Sid locks on a chin lock for another couple of minutes. We've got another 10 minutes to go here. So it, this match so far, we've gone 11 minutes in and it's been chin lock, uh, going outside twice. Uh, bear hug, clutch, clutch, bear hug. The, the, the Chicago fans are booing this thing out of the building. Uh, Sid hits a couple of power bomb, power moves, I should say, for two counts, and then the, pen, the pendulum swings back to Taker as Sid misses a top rope clothesline. Taker goes for a tombstone. Sid reverses it into his own tombstone, executed perfectly. To be yeah. very fair, I didn't and say that. We get a two count. Here's the finish. Bret Hart is out. He smacks Sid twice with a chair. Fairness, heel turn working pretty well and truly in play. But why, if Sid is a heel, then why are you hitting the heel here, Brett? Taker pushes Sid into the steel post, rolls him into the ring, choke slam, kick out. Sid goes for a power bomb. Brett comes back in, stun gun, which is a move that I've always loved. Uh, stun gun Sid off the ropes, straight into a tombstone. One, two, three. New world champ, The Undertaker. And a seesaw matchup for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. And here we go. Come on! 
Doesn't he ever get tired of beat up? finish i liked kind of uh, not not the bret hart not not the bret hart yeah, stuff yeah. but the i thought sid and taker got the tombstone reversal all the spots were were done well you know considering true true uh, did, you, like did it, did undertaker and sid perform their parts physically the way they were supposed to yes that's the best compliment i can give this match but I don't think any WrestleMania match main event where there's shenanigans in the end ever goes down too well. You know, it really highlights True. what a cluster it was at the time here in terms of uh, who, you know, why this match was even on in the first place. They clearly didn't know what they were doing by putting this in the main Yeah, well, the whole Sean losing his smile yeah. nonsense from January killed kind it. of killed it because it wasn't supposed to be HBK and Bret Hart. Yeah. And yeah. then they went off with Brett and Austin, which is probably, as we've spoke of, yeah, but they had done it not before. one of the greatest um, WrestleMania matches of all time. But then you had this absolute cluster in the main event, which was just horrific. Horrific. Take it has to hold- be up there with the worst main events in WrestleMania history. 100%, without a doubt. Take her to hold the belt for 133 days until SummerSlam before losing it to Bret Hart. So, not a... Very long title reign, but you know what's that? Kind of for modern months? day, it's like the standard reign now, isn't it? The, yeah. the face wins title of Mania, and he usually drops it some somewhere in around SummerSlam. Yeah, interesting. So we're gonna we're gonna get out of this era. So we've now gone through the comicky uh, uh, early '90s era into the new generation era, which featured the old generation with Sid yeah. in the main event, and we're straight into the Attitude Era. We are fast forwarding here. It's over the edge, 1999. It's The Undertaker versus Steve Austin. And it's going to run 22 minutes and 58 seconds. Now, before we even discuss this match, yeah. let's put down some, uh, some facts. This is, this, I couldn't possibly think of a weirder main event than this because this is, of course, over the edge, 1999, the show where Owen Hart plummeted to his death early in the card and WWE and Vince right or wrong made the decision that the show must go on. So these two boys are wrestling a main event fully knowing because JR has announced it uh, a couple of uh, matches, earlier. matches earlier. Yeah. That Owen Hart had actually passed away. So they would have seen this backstage and then they had to come out here. Here at, uh, in Kansas city, uh, tragedy befell the world wrestling federation and all of us. Owen Hart was, uh, set to make an entrance from the ceiling and uh, he fell from the ceiling and I have the unfortunate responsibility to let everyone know that Owen Hart has died Owen Hart has tragically died from that accident here tonight and you can see on everybody's face Nobody wants to be there. Did you see? Because Shane McMahon is the referee here in a massively convoluted the corporate ministry storyline. 
Uh, Shane O'Mac is the referee. He's walking out to the ring. He has tears in his eyes. He's totally distracted. Then Undertaker comes out, even with all the glitz and glamour of his um, big entrance. He doesn't. He just wants to be there. Stone Cold comes out and literally throws the belt on the ground. Yeah, it's, it's like weird. This is, it's ha- it's a hard watch. It's a hard watch, and it's a long. Like it's funny that they went twenty two minutes. You would I imagine. That, they- I was sure they were going like from my memory because I watched this live actually. Um, I was twelve years of age. Watched it live. Uh, on a, a tiny TV I had in the house and I plugged headphones into it and, uh, and I watched it um, and then obviously the own hard stuff happened and it was crazy but in my head the match was over in an instant I don't, I don't remember it going 20 minutes but as a, a side note it was actually lovely given the week that's in it to see Pat Patterson as, yeah. get a couple of comedy spots in there you know yeah. <laughs> like, so even in, in his couple of minutes what a performer before we get to just a bit of a background on the storyline here um, storyline wise Shane and Vince are joint guest referees Shane is joint taker as leader of the corporate ministry taker still refers to a higher power who's still not revealed who we would eventually know uh, would be Vince McMahon Vince is feuding with Taker and Shane over the kidnapping of Stephanie which eventually we'd learn was Vince McMahon and control of the WWE Austin is caught in the middle of all this despite previously being sworn enemy of Vince so Shane is out first and then Pat Patterson is out second yeah Niall brilliant to see him God Take. him and Briscoe were like just such so funny brilliant yeah stooges yeah. like uh, Pat Patterson takes an instant chalk slam from Taker because he's this is one of these matches where there's supposed to be two refs Vince yeah. is injured can't fulfill his role so stooge number one Pat Patterson's out instant chalk slam from the ref or from Taker you, gla- you glossed over earlier uh, Taker so we just go back to his entrance so he, this is now full gothic satanic Taker Yeah. so yeah. the last time we saw Taker against Sid he was a little bit more evolved than his 91 character but for the most part he was the same uh, dead man zombie style Undertaker now he's full gothic uh, worshipping the devil Taker and Paul Bearer is back with him Bearer as well they've, they've kind of They've evolved, I would say, kind of from cartoony to like graphic novel, comic booky yeah. looking. Taker got a big leather cloak on him with big, huge wings that you can imagine pull out like an like a, a dead angel or something. And a he's got fallen a fallen angel. Fallen angel. He's got a goatee and his hair is tied up. His music is much heavier. There's more metal with kind of a plodding guitar uh, underscoring his. It's the same team with kind of electric guitar underscoring it. So he's straight in, like you said, choke slams Pat Patterson almost immediately. And we're down to one ref. So Austin comes out. We're straight into a high octa in kind of barroom brawl type, ma- type match. So it's kind of interesting to see the change in styles even since the, the last match we saw with Taker. Yeah. And, well, and only, two years, only two years apart with a massive change in actual in-ring style. And another thing I'll say is the crowd, they're less subdued than I remember. You're talking about how you remembered it. In my head, this match had become a real distracted, rushed exhibition with a real quiet crowd. But mm. the, the crowd do get into it. You know, they're quite loud. I, I thought the crowd were loud at the start. And then the crowd just went almost completely silent for a large section of the match, um, yeah. which is kind of weird. Another contrast is the rest holes. So we went through the Taker Sid match there. There's still plenty of rest holes here, but they're there's now still are rest holes still. But they're closer in the kind of MMA style. Like there's arm bars and knee locks. Knee, knee locks. There's a lot of work in the knee here, and yeah. which is weird because, like, I remember like it's always Taker's knee getting worked because he's the big guy. There's yeah. a whole section here where Taker's working Austin's knee. Yeah, I was like, this is weird. I don't. 
which but makes perfect sense considering he has all those knee problems but exactly like, and every braces. guy every guy when you see a guy come to the ring they're wearing leg braces you should just work the knee the whole flipping yeah. match like why not yeah uh, it's a pre-made storyline <laughs> uh but yeah so it's less jarring when they're kind of those those uh, those holes like a knee lock or whatever they're kind of working around the wrestler we spoke about it with uh, kurt angle as well it's yeah. just easier to watch it looks more natural um, oh, the bear hug stuff and all that was just absolute trash compared to these like knee locks and arm bars. And so Gold was also very good at making a mini storyline out of each of his holes as well, though, you know? It wasn't a hole for the sake of a hole. It was actually something happening during that time as well. We go outside for a while, which was pretty uh, consistent in this era. Uh, Paul Bear gets really close to the rattlesnake and gets a punch, which got a really big pop. Um, this is, it's basically a big brawl here from here on in. Not overly... I wouldn't say it was overly entertaining, but you know we have re- there's reasons why, given what was going on in the background. Yeah. Now I I found two moments of this brawl on the outside extremely entertaining. First of all, was Paul Bear removed his shoe yeah. and hit Austin twice on the head with it, which his, I thought was brilliant. To to quote the commentator, his stinking shoe. His stinking shoe. Yeah. <laughs> Jr. really went to town on the order. He spoke about the order for about forty yeah. seconds. But also, right, and this is what I really want to know about the aftermath of this pay-per-view. There was a guy in the crowd when they were fighting right beside him with a big yellow sign that said, Party at Smokies. I want to know how that party went down. <laughs> I just couldn't stop looking at this dude. He was an audience member with <laughs> Party at Smokies sign. I was like, this, what's going on here? This guy looks, he looked insane. <laughs> uh, there's this also a cool spot where Austin goes for a Lutez press and Taker catches him with a spine buster you never yeah. saw Austin miss those Lutez presses no. ever really but and it's such it a great like spine Austin buster Austin kind of like jammed his head off the ground on impact because it was like a high impact spine buster it looked sore yeah it did look sore they go up the aisle then and this is something I want to ask you about when they, they go up uh, Taker first of all gets thrown into these kind of hanging glass windows uh, which I thought was kind of cool. And then there's an understated moment where under, Austin has Taker up against the wall and this massive, heavy steel frame falls out from behind, like totally by accident. Definitely wasn't part yeah, of the yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah, that was 100% by accident. And it smacks down on Taker's uh, his hand, but it was so close to his head. It was unbelievable. And Taker definitely hurt his arm from it. But like, I, I just don't, I don't see that often that, thing coming down i don't remember seeing it in any kind of clips or you know when you might show highlights of taker's career but that was so close yeah. to killing taker but i think anything from this pay-per-view was buried afterwards anyway so you're, you're not going to see that fair yeah, but it, it was a scary moment we get back to the ring austin hits a low blow on taker top rope elbow could have got three but Kane, but shane mcmahon stops the count shane gets knocked out austin would have got a 10 count here and jared briscoe runs down gets a two count but kick out Briscoe then gets taken out. Then Vincent Kennedy McMahon limps out. I, I kind of felt weird watching Vince come out, knowing that he was allowing the show to continue, even though Owen Hart was dead. It's kind of, yeah. it's hard to kind of get, he kind of took me out of the match again. Not that I was really into it, but. I know, uh, but there was also, there was, that was playing on my mind for the whole match. Yeah. What was also on my mind is that I, we know now know where the storyline ends. Yeah. So what is the point of any of this rubbish that Vince is doing? It's literally, like I know it's derided as one of the um, worst storylines, like storyline finishes, I suppose, in wrestling history. And I made a fallen angel joke earlier on. I was wondering if you'd 
pick up on it. But you know, at the time it was rumored that the fallen angel Christopher Daniels was the higher power. Yeah. And then the higher power ends up being Vince. And you go back to think of this match. What was going on? What was the point of anything? Yeah, I know. Strange. They just retconned the whole storyline in hindsight, which when you to go back and look at any of these matches from during that storyline, just they're all they all become nonsense in hindsight. Yeah. But Vince was also jacked as well. He he was on he was on the psycho Sid uh, the psycho Sid diet I think wasn't he? He was interesting about um, Don Callis was on AEW this week. He was another wasn't he another? He was another p- potential the, the jackal and yeah. Rave, Raven Nile was also. He was another Raven was another rumored one. I would love to see him in that role. Yeah, Raven character who doesn't get this, the, enough kudos. I feel he just certainly doesn't get the credit he deserves as a character. Anyway, moving on. So Vince uh, limps down. We get a nine count for both men. They jump up and go at it. Stunner. Shane stops Vince. Sorry, one, two. Shane pulls Vince away. We get a sloppy finish here where Shane pushes Austin into Vince, who gets rolled up by The Undertaker for a fast count. Taker wins, and then he celebrates with the entire corporate ministry. Uh, well, sorry, entire ministry. I don't think the corporate side was there yet. Not great, but boy, was it a popular time for wrestling. So... Yeah, a terrible, terrible finish to a pay-per-view. They tried to rescue it with Austin getting hit a stunner on Midian, <laughs> but it just didn't satisfy my appetite no. uh, or, or that of the audience at the time. All right, another question that ties right back into Undertaker. My question concerns the night Owen Hart died at Over the Edge. You and Taker were in the main event that night. A, did your approach and plans for the match change after you heard about Owen's death? Uh, no, our approach and plans for the match didn't change. We went out and did our thing. B, how did it feel wrestling in front of the live crowd, knowing one of your colleagues had just died in that ring? Well, that was the hard part. Uh, the match itself was what it was. Now, I haven't never seen that match back. But if it was a little mechanical or lackluster, it would be because of the confusion, uh, the loss, the uh, catastrophic event the drastic change in mood when we found out uh, that Owen had indeed died, but the show must go on and you must go out there and perform. It certainly uh, took me off my game. I would imagine it most likely took Undertaker off his game. And it just seemed like the match went by. And uh, I don't really remember listening to the crowd too much that night it was more going through the paces we accomplished the task at hand but the match was kind of a blur because of the incredible uh disaster which had just happened 36 day reign this time for taker so he win it 36 days he'd lose it back to austin the following month so not a man for the long title reigns yeah so where do we go from here? We go to Judgment Day, 2002. We are jumping right past the Attitude Era. We're kind of tail end stuff. And we're back to Hulk Hogan, where it all began, Niall. 11 years earlier, we are back with Hulk Hogan. But before we speak about this match, can I just say, what a card this match, this, this match was on. We've Unbelievable. Got, I was reading through it. <laughs> It's like yeah. every one of these could be a main event. It was RVD yeah. versus Eddie, Robin Van versus Eddie Guerrero, the Hardy Boys versus Brock Lesnar and Heyman. So like yeah. multiple world champs already. Big Show and Flair versus Steve Austin. 
multiple world yeah. champs. Edge versus Angle, multiple world champs each. Triple H versus Jericho. Yeah. And, and then Hogan versus Taker. Could this be the greatest card of all time? On paper, yes. And you're actually forgetting one. I skipped one. Yeah. <laughs> Which one's that? Rico and Rikishi <laughs> beat Billy and Chuck for the tag team titles, Kieran. Come on, man. What a, what a big time match. Three minutes, 50 seconds for the tag titles. And, and also, that the Triple H-Chris Jericho match was hell in the sale as well. And that match goes on. They, uh, the tag match comes on after Triple H Jericho. They needed something to yeah, kind of needed a buffer. buffer needed yeah. A buffer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what a what a card! Um, Ridiculous. This match comes about because Taker held Hogan beat Triple H to retain. The, so we got a heel Taker here first of all. Uh, yeah. Match comes out because Taker helped Hogan beat Triple H to retain the world title. Hogan did not like that. Taker actually did it to get a title shot at Hogan's old title. Uh, some hilarious clips in advance. I mean, thank God for the old highlights of the feud before you go into the match. Um, yeah. There's a preview here where Taker hogties Hogan and drags him around the backstage area from the back of his bike. Yeah. Question, question, was that actually Hogan hogtied? I doubt it. I have my doubts whether uh, Hogan was doing his own stunts in 2002. He barely did his own moves in 2002, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah, but there was a... The, whoever that stunt double was, he had an unbelievable Hogan moustache. Yeah, uh, yeah. I could be... I'd say any old lad from backstage like, but the moustache kind of tied on him and dressed up as Hogan. It's very funny. Uh, I, I was excited for this match when I saw it on paper, but I was immediately annoyed when it started because of the stupid WWE network changing all the team songs and that yeah. awful voodoo child ripoff music for Hogan just killed his entrance completely. Totally, killed it, totally. I have that here. Like I was like, cause I was looking for, I knew, I knew it was the voodoo child era mm. of Hogan and then it kicks in and I was like, ah, oh, this version. And as, and as well, it kind of, because they, they've obviously dubbed it in to remove the, for the rights and stuff that the crowd, you can't really hear the crowd. So you don't know what kind of pop he got when he came in. Mm. So it, it looked like he got a good pop visually. Yeah. But yeah. The, yeah, the music was rubbish. I thought Hogan looked lean though. Hogan looked very lean. Um, he was in way better shape here than he was in 91 when he fought Taker the last time. Uh, By a million miles. I hated this Undertaker though. I hated his look. I hated his gimmick, the big evil yeah. biker or whatever it was. Just not for me. Um, is there a reason he didn't have the bike here? Don't know. Don't care. Serious amount yeah. of Hogan fans in the crowd, all wearing his merch. I'd say they made some ton of money when Hogan came back. There's not a man. Well, there is a few, but there's not many men in that building not wearing a Hulk Hogan. Uh, when he went back to red and yellow that time after his uh, feud with The Rock, I'd say they sold. Uh, I'd say it was a bonanza in the McMahon household. This goes just over 11 minutes, which for me is a perfect time for this match. Uh, it's a typical Hogan match. Nothing less, nothing more. Taker yeah. kicks out of a leg drop. Fans don't like it, but pretty rare. You don't see people kicking out of a leg drop, leg drop too often. But then Vincent Mann arrives. Hogan hits him. Earl Hebner gets distracted. Taker absolutely batters Hogan across the back with a steel chair, which I absolutely loved. Yeah, One, loved every minute of it. One, two, three. Taker wins his third title in 12 years. Yeah. Talking it is. Uh, so, basically, I just said, there was good crowd heat in the match. Place was going nuts for Hogan. It's exactly what you would expect out of a 2002 Hulk Hogan match. And as yeah. you said, nothing more, nothing less. Undertaker went to hit him with a chalk slam at one stage. Uh, I'd say Hogan went two feet off the ground, max. 
yeah. did not go up for it. And then I, I found it was interesting as well as Hogan didn't take the tombstone or the last raid in this match. He lost to the choke slam after the chair shot. So I was he vetoing the fact that I'm not hanging upside down or I'm not taking a power bomb like I, I know he's an advanced age, but he took a, a very soft looking choke slam and at the pin. hundred um, percent he vetoed it. Oh, 100%. But shenanigans as well. And look, it's yeah. what you'd expect out of these two in 2002. Taker would only hold this for 63 days uh, this time after winning. So another short reign before he'd lose it to The Rock in a triple threat match, which also featured our boy Kurt Angle. Um, yeah, look, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the match for what it was, but it certainly felt more like a spectacle, a Hogan's kind of farewell mm-hmm. show more than an actual match that meant anything. Yeah, and, and when you look at the card itself, it's even kind of designed that way. The big highlight of the show is the Jericho Triple H Hell in Cell match that goes 25 minutes. Yeah. And then you get a short World Titan match after. So that kind of says everything you need to know. And it was just one last hurrah for Hogan. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. You got Hogan Taker here. Technically, you've also got Flair versus Austin on the same card. So that's Flair, Austin. I know Big Show is part of that, but let's just say it's Flair versus Austin, Hogan versus Taker. Four major candidates for the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling. Uh, it's crazy. What a card. Unbelievable. Um, it's just crazy stuff. Madness. We're going to fast forward here once again to WrestleMania 23. So this is in the year 2007. So we are five years on. Now, This is we spoke about this just before we came on air. It is insane how different an Undertaker we have here five years later. Yeah. Physically, so so in, in terms of his gimmick stuff, for people who don't know, Undertaker started as the dead man kind of zombie guy, uh, went into the Attitude Era as the satanic worshipper, uh, you know, cult leader type guy, uh, changed gimmick into like a biker uh, taker where he was, you know, still into probably heavy metal music and stuff, but dead drove, man walking, but drove around on a drove around on a, a Harley. And then he would disappear and he'd come back as the dead man again. Mm. But a different type of dead man. Now he was a dead man who probably in a previous life was an MMA fighter because he's got all these different holes. He's faster. Yeah. He's got better punches. Um, but he's still and got... He, he looked in way better shape as well. Way better shape. Exactly. He was a bit overweight for that Hogan match. In this match, in this next match we're going to talk about, he is... He's muscle, he's muscle in all the right areas and he's lean mm-hmm. in all the right areas so this is actually my favourite taker we, after watching the whole thing the whole era stuff this is my favourite taker Dead we man. don't often agree Kieran, but I totally agree with you peak shape 
and the yeah. beginning of his run to put him on the map as a fantastic wrestler as well as a fantastic character. So we're talking big Dave Batista, Hollywood actor versus Undertaker at WrestleMania 23. It goes 15 minutes and 50 seconds. The story of this match is Taker won the Royal Rumble for the first time. He chose Batista and that's all you need to know leading into this match. Yeah. Now, there's a side note on this, right? This is one of my favorite ever WrestleManias because in a kind of a weird way, it was the first ever scheduled for two falls uh, live watch along. Because I watched that this match with three of our biggest supporters. Uh, it was myself, it was Debbie Morris, it was Matthew Root and Alan Marr, uh, guys who constantly, you know, give feedback and and interact with the podcast. But there was a, um, a pinfall attempt by Batista about three minutes into the match. And uh, Alan Marr being the absolute filthy mark that he is, sprung from his chair, almost sent a dominoes halfway across the room and screamed, kick out, Taker! <laughs> three minutes in. Three minutes in. He thought Taker was losing the streak in a three-minute squash match to Batista. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, that's great. That's great. Uh, anyway, uh, the story to match, yeah, Taker won the rumble. So Batista's out first. And he's a total beast. And he gets a huge, yeah. he gets a huge pop. Now, I was never a big Batista fan. Uh, really, it took me seeing him outside of wrestling to start kind of focusing on what he was like back in wrestling again. Yeah. So I will say that retrospectively, I like him way more than I, than I did back when he was he first around. Gone up like exponentially in my ratings since he's, he's retired. I, did, I didn't like him really at the time. But he gives when you look a, back on his, he was, he he was awesome. And he gives it a hundred percent, like in everything he does, he's a hundred percent all in, whether it's his, his, the shape that he's in, whether it's the matches, his character, yeah. uh, you know, you can't, you can disagree with people's styles and, you know, with their booking or whatever else, but if they're giving it a hundred percent and you know it, it's hard to, uh, to be too hard on them. So he did have an aura of being a superstar though. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. And, and, and charismatic. You know, I, know we, I could joke about, and Marsh jumping up and shouting kick out Taker uh, three minutes into the match. But this was probably the first time that the streak was legitimately threatened. You know, that you really thought Undertaker could lose here. Like, yeah. Batista is a big enough star to actually be the one to beat the streak. The way they're booking Batista as well. Um, yeah. It's hard to see anybody beat him. Uh, Taker comes out and it's a, he gets a huge pop. And the pageantry and spectacle of the entrance mm-hmm. that we know about Taker. It's in full flow here. The Druids are out in mass ahead of Taker coming through. So we're, we're at this kind of WrestleMania moment territory at this stage. And um, Teddy Long does the intros. which Yeah, that was a nice touch. Did you like it? I didn't like it. I, you didn't like it? No, I liked <laughs> no. it because... He's like I like looking back on it because he's so synonymous at the time with SmackDown of tonight you will be facing the Undertaker, you know. So it's kind of cool that he was the one to introduce this match for my own nostalgia. Now maybe yeah. if I was in the moment, I wouldn't like it. Yeah, I, I did like it. I just he didn't. He doesn't. He's not a natural announcer. Uh, just oh, no, Rob- he's, he's rubbish at announcing. Yeah, like Justin Roberts. The next match we'll talk about Justin Roberts announcing. I just thought it sounded just way more professional, way better, just than poor old Teddy doing it. In any case. Uh, I guess the, the real story of this match is Batista is not intimidated or respectful of Undertaker whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And Taker is out of the gates, uh, extremely fast uh, attacking Batista, and the fans are booing Batista straight away. Like, this is a different wrestler in terms of moveset. Like, not just look or style, yeah. his moveset are all over the place. And I'm going to say straight up from the start, 
I really love this match. This match is absolutely awesome. It's amazing. I wouldn't have I thought I'd you, love it as much. No, I, I think you could go back to that era, 2007, and look at every WWE match that year. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better big match than this because they absolutely beat the crap out of each other. Yeah, It's at a ridiculous pace for two guys who would have combined weight of probably close to 600 pounds. And like they go all out to have an incredible world title match. Taker selling is so good. Like you're saying, they go at each other really, really hard. And when Taker gets hit, you know this this era of Taker, you feel like he's really getting busted. You know, you're kind of yeah. worried about his health a little bit more. Uh, it goes outside, and Batista starts ripping off the announce tables. He accidentally smacks both the time the timekeeper uh, by flipping the lid off the table across the the ring, and then he smacks the cameraman doing the cameraman. same thing on the other one. Like, it just felt so raw, didn't it? Like, there was intense. raw here. Like, yeah. Yeah, it, like, really intense. That's it. And then he power slams Taker through the table and absolutely creams him as well. Like, yeah. legitimately, these were one of the best table spots that I've seen. In the, I, I can't think of some better ones. I was absolutely blown away by it. He ran from one table, jumped off it, through the other table with, like, velocity. Yeah. It was awesome. But it was also, like... It was one of the first times I'd seen Taker crack out the dive over the top ropes. Yeah, same. Unbelievable. He flew like... They get back to the ring, lots of close falls. Fans are going absolutely wild. They're loving it. They're right to because it's great. It finishes with Taker kicking out of a Batista bomb. He gets the advantage and goes for Tombstone. Batista gets out and pushes, uh, gets pushed into the turntuckle. Sorry, to turn buckle. Uh, Taker turns him around, gets him in the tombstone again. One, two, three. Fans go wild. Can you believe the roller coaster ride in this match? If he hits, here he goes. Batista going for the Batista ball. And he got it. The streak is over. Oh, my God. The streak God. is over. And Undertaker rolled the shoulder up. How the hell did he do that? Listen to this crowd, Michael. And look at the look on the face of the champion, Batista, in disbelief. Has anybody ever kicked out of the Batista bomb? I've never seen it, Michael. Never. Going for a second, perhaps. These WWE fans in a near frenzy in fourth field. Undertaker missed with the right. The champion again kicked to the midsection. Look at this. Batista bounced off the turnbuckle. Undertaker. Oh my. Look at this. Tombstone pile driver. Wow. There's two. We have a new world champion. Just a great match. Any other talking points you took from it? No, it's just, like you said, a great match. A great story of two guys who just wanted to win. Like, Batista... You know, you, you have that thing when you see a guy come to the ring and you, and you know by his face or whatever, he's losing the title. Yeah. Batista fought this match as if this is the biggest match of my career and I'm going to make everyone believe that I'm going over Taker here today. I'm going to come out with this as a superstar beating Taker and then he loses, but he gave it 
everything. I just, it, my respect for him just soared after it. And at, at 15 minutes and 50 seconds, that's all this match was, less than 16 minutes. That's the perfect time for this type of world title match. Like, why do you, there's no reason why people have to go 20, over 20 minutes or 25 minutes or 30 minutes or some of the crazy timelines that are out there. Yeah, this it depends the perfect, though. It depends who you are and what your capabilities are as well, I suppose. Yeah, but I, I just think as a, someone watching TV, you, you can get a little bit bored from a match if it's going on really long. But I, I say that because we have a point later on in the next match that we're about to talk about. And mm-hmm. I t- take I, I, Yeah, one more talking point from this, actually. And I, went, I kind of looked into it a little bit because we don't review all of these matches that I'm going to mention here. But this is the start of seven straight years where Undertaker had the best match at Mania. For seven years in a row, Mad, he goes. It? He goes. This match with Batista. We'll talk about the Edge match next. Then he goes Michaels twice. He goes Triple H twice, and he finishes with CM Punk. And arguably, he had match of the night at WrestleMania seven straight years. That in and of itself is mental. That yeah. showed the, the worker he had really developed into, or maybe he always was, but just the Wasn't style of WWE at the time didn't didn't suit yeah. Um, Taker would hold the re- he'd hold the title for 37 days before he'd drop it to Edge so again despite this being a great match Taker beaten Batista finally he lose the title in 37 days anyway really enjoyed this one surprisingly so we are on to the following year it is Edge it's Wrestlemania 24 and just before the match kicks off Kim Kardashian comes out to tell the crowd that they've made a new attendance record at the Citrus Bowl and the fans absolutely boo her out of the building you gotta love you gotta love yeah wrestling fans consistently when it comes to hating Vince's ideas for these celeb appearances they just hate him it was so weird I didn't didn't know Kim Kardashian was famous that long ago like she's on the go a long time yeah just like yeah 12-13 years ago so takers out for video package uh, for for the event is awesome, but also the pre-match video package just highlighting this match. I I would tell people go back and watch that because it makes a star out of Edge. Yeah, go on, talk it through. Just it had it really again like back to that thing of who's going to beat the streak. Edge it intersperses with a promo that Edge gives on on SmackDown. And it keeps flashing up on the screen, 15 and 1, 15 and 1, 15 and 1. And it's just Edge's absolutely self-belief. And they're showing all the moments of him being the ultimate opportunist. And you can actually see a path to victory of Edge is going to find a way to beat Taker in this match. Yeah. You start thinking, oh God, maybe they're talking about this streak so much just so Edge can beat it. Like, you're, you're right. You actually thought that, yeah, this is the one. Edge is actually going to do it. Yeah. Takers out first. It was very similar entrance to last year with the Druids. It's funny. I always thought they mixed up these entrances quite a lot, but when you look at them back to back, there's very exact little same. difference. <laughs> yeah, exact same. It's like only the set is different. Also, this was uh, one of the big arena WrestleManias, and the set was incredible. Like elaborate, it was huge, elaborate, massive. Yeah. Looked great. Uh, Taker comes out. He's in absolute mint condition again. Justin Roberts announces him, and I thought it was much better in last year's Teddy Long. Uh, another thing of note is the commentary style changes a good bit here. I think from the Batista match to this Edge match, yeah. it's Coachman it's like and Cole, was it? Yeah, it, they're it's like there's way less ad lib. It's they're more, you know, pre like all the spots. It's about and they're talking about WrestleMania moments. It's all this kind of 
unnatural sequences where they're told mm. what to say at each given time and they're to- just the scripting I think it, has got way worse it, it is drilled into them yeah, and yeah. I, they did make I did think though that they kind of sold the story of the match well um, you know up to this point I think Edge was 2-0 and or 3-0 and or something against Taker he'd always found a way know, found a way so and I, I thought that was kind of cool that they harbored on that point a few times as well uh, Edge comes out to a really top class entrance as well again like Batista, I wasn't a huge Edge fan. Um, you know, again, I wasn't w- watching wrestling as much at this time, but I will say I enjoyed watching him soak up every single second as he comes out. There's no better man for being totally in the moment and, yeah. and absolutely loving it. So you can see the fan in him as he's kind of looking around and he's, you know, the deep breath. I am main event in WrestleMania. And then when he puts one hand up and then the other hand up for that huge, big uh, fireworks display at the background, like there's... I don't know. It's it, just the charisma in him, the the fanboy in him, and the just the the precision. It just makes yeah. it a, an unbelievable moment. He's total star, total star. Yeah, match starts out a little bit slower than last year, but you'd expect that because this one's going to go twenty four minutes, so they're ten minutes longer than the Batista match. So I guess they're going to have to build this one up, Niall. Yeah, again, like as I said, it's a slower, kind of more methodical start, but that's you know, not to take away from the match itself because I actually thought that this was fantastic. Yeah. And uh, I thought that Edge really excelled in the striking exchanges early in the match because I didn't expect that out of him. Uh, I thought he was great in those moments. Taker was obviously brilliant in it because, you know, they've made a point of it enough times to commentary over the years. He's the greatest pure striker in wrestling history. His strikes do look great. But Edge. the story of the match, Edge having an answer and a counter for every single thing Undertaker yeah. does. That's what I love because Edge takes control early and it highlights, I suppose, off, you know, outside of wrestling kind of highlights how much respect Taker has for Edge that he'd allow him to take control, not from cheating, but just from doing his homework. Like that was the character that was there. Um, Taker does that tope from the top rope onto Edge and shout out just again, you were talking about it last year, from the last match, how impressive it is. Like he did it against... Yeah, exactly. Like he did against Batista as well, but the guy who wrestled Hulk Hogan like five years earlier would never have. It's like he wouldn't have even physically been able to do it. It's hard oh, to remember they're the same he people. He wouldn't have cleared the middle rope. So strange. Like, <laughs> like literally in these two matches, he actually flew like. It's unbelievable. So good. Uh, story of the match here is Edge is working Taker's lower back. He's finding anything and everything to, he can do to work the back, which is, again, is kind of cool, kind of build, t- chopping down the big guy, as they always do. You were right. Uh, some cool reversal spots, like the choke slam into the execution. Um, yeah. It's class. The last ride into the neck breaker, I thought was Loved brilliant. it. Yeah. Loved it. There was another one that I loved as well. Um, John Taker does the snake eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy bounces off the turnbuckle and Undertaker sprints to the ropes. Yeah, to drop come back. Kick. I, yeah, Edge cuts him off with the drop kick. I like I left out in my seat like that was one of the be- time and- one of the best drop kicks I've ever seen. Because he ever. got it he got a two count from a drop kick and I was thinking yeah. that deserved three. That drop yeah, kick. I've never seen it- a drop kick before. Like I, I'm fully of the opinion that Okada does the best drop kick in the history of wrestling in terms of like timing and everything. And I probably would have could pick out five Okada drop kicks that would be the top five drop kicks of all time. But Edge just got right in there to the top three because that drop kick was unbelievable. It was class. And Taker sold it brilliantly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was enjoying this a lot. Uh, Taker then hits a the last ride, only gets a two count on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he absolutely 
smashed edge to the canvas on that one. The finish sees Taker accidentally kicking SmackDown uh, official Jimmy Corderas. Edge gets a camera uh, off the cameraman, calling back to what he did a few months earlier to beat Taker. He nails him again. Edge goes for the tombstone. Taker reverses it and nails it. The ref is down. And then we get that absolutely epic Charles Robinson sprint from the back. Where it's he, the greatest comedy moment in WrestleMania history. Like, he, he must have broken a 200-meter record there coming down. <laughs> I have. It was at least 200 meters. And the camera stayed on him for so much of it. So and he good. sprinted his little heart out like... <laughs> How the commentators didn't lose their shit watching that? I don't. Oh, know. It was like I was I was howling laughing because you could see you know, I'm getting so tired and the ring is still so far away. Like and then only a two count as well, so you actually had to ref the rest of the match. Uh, yeah. Ryder, Ryder, uh, Zach Ryder and Curtis Hawkins come out. Uh, they distract Taker as he knocks them out. Then we get a spear by Edge. One, two, kick out. Edge lines Mass up. Pop. Huge pop. Edge lines up another spear. He hits it. The fans can't believe it. Edge goes to pin Taker, but Taker, in one of the greatest finishes in WrestleMania, Taker locks right. on the Hell's Gate submission hold. Yeah. Great spot. Great, great Mike Hall doesn't know the name of the submission. Oh, God. <laughs> it's the submission to close out WrestleMania, and he keeps calling it that submission. Undertaker has locked, locked in that submission. It's like, call you absolute donkey. Like, what? This is an unbelievable moment because it's done so well from Edge as well. Yeah. Edge nails him with the spear, and it's almost like he puts his hand on down on the Taker, being like, a, "I got you, I finally got you," and Taker just locks it in. But it reverses the whole story of the match. Yeah. You know, it's the whole match is Edge hitting reversal after reversal after reversal, having the answer for everything. He lapses in concentration to enjoy the moment for one second. Undertaker reverses it. The streak somehow is still alive. I asked the question before, how does Undertaker beat Edge? I must ask the question now, how does Edge beat the Undertaker? And this crowd, every single person is on their feet. Spear again! Spear again! And this might be it! Whoa! And there's the, that submission maneuver! That submission hold! That deadly submission hold! That's taken out so many men! Can Edge get to the ropes? The champion's in trouble. Will he tap? Will he tap? Edge trying to make it. He's a foot away. A foot away from the rope. And he taps out. We've got a new champion. The winner of this match as a result of a submission. I love this match. I, I, I kind of think you preferred the Batista match, maybe. I, I did. Do, I love Bolton. I love Bolton matches. It's funny, I did, but actually even just talking this one back, I think I might love this one even more. And I just, there's so many moments in this one yeah. that are epic, you know, whether yeah. it's Charles I, I just, Robinson, the finish. Charles Robinson, yeah. <laughs> I just think like this is such, a, like the other match was great because you had two big men who beat the living daylights out of each other and who worked their asses off. This was, I thought, a, like a smarter match. There was so many, like as you said, moments and storyline threads mm. and callbacks and even callbacks into before the match but within the match. I just thought like this is, in terms of how a match is laid out 
and two guys telling a physical story without really enough help from two great commentators. Yeah. Like, you know, you have to watch this match closely to get a lot of these things. I just thought they nailed it. Taker would hold the belt this time for a whopping 30 days. I don't uh, get it. I don't get it. SmackDown General Manager Vicky Greer would strip The Undertaker of the title for using the Hell's Gate submission hold, which she deemed to be dangerous. So, um, yeah, there you go. Just another short title reign for The mm. Undertaker. So we are going to fast forward, Niall, to CM Punk. It's Hell in a Cell 2009. It's a Hell in a Cell match. Storyline here is the Teddy Long continued to ban the Hell's Gate submission move when he became general manager, mm-hmm. the move he beat Edge with at WrestleMania. Punk knows this, and he uses it to fight Taker in submission matches because he basically knows that Taker can't use it. Teddy Long, for some reason, designed the match uh, so that Taker would not win the title, seeing him as a danger to other competitors, I guess. So Punk won this submission match via apparent screw job, even though Taker never tapped. It's kind of, again, the build-up to where this match is going. And it took place in Montreal, would you believe? There you go. Taker then kidnaps Teddy Long in a limo. <laughs> In one of the cheesiest scenes in WrestleMania history where Teddy Long is in the limo, cuts the Undertaker to front, he turns around and he says, buckle up, Teddy. And then it cuts to this kind of flashing purple light type thing where Teddy is there and then he's not there, or this kind of ghostly kind of... Yeah, and the Undertaker has rigged a fog machine into the back of the limo. <laughs> Teddy then gets released by Taker via uh, being placed into a coffin, which appears at the front of the ring. Punk uh, takes him out of the coffin, and Teddy tells Punk, you're in a Hell in a Cell match with The Undertaker. Yeah. There, there you go. You don't need to know anything more than that. Perfect storyline. Perfect storyline. It makes this, sense. This is the first time ever that it was the pay-per-view itself was called Hell in a Cell. You know, yeah. this is when they started going to naming their, their pay-per-views after their own gimmick matches, which I always hated. Because um, this is the 17th Hell in a Cell match in wrestling history, going back to the first one in 96, 96 with Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. So this is the 17th one ever. It took, them, it took them 13 years to do 17 of them. And it's, but it's also the first of three to take place that night. Yeah, it's the beginning of the end for the Cell as a... A demon, a, de- a demonic structure, as he used to call it. This match goes 10 minutes and 24 seconds. So it's a pretty quick match to open the show. The match, it's interesting for a few reasons, Niall, because it's a few years before Punk would become super duper over. Yeah. Uh, but he's doing great heel work. He's doing that straight edge society stuff. And he was that, kind of over as well. Like, there oh, was actually a Punk chant at one stage. Oh, yeah. Against like, Taker, which is crazy. As soon as I started watching, I just, I just didn't think Punk was going to have any effect on Taker. He didn't look like, after coming off Edge and coming off Batista, this was a very difficult match to watch. Yeah, Punk, I, I almost forgot this, but it's a really a credit to his, his, his kind of persona that he got as high up the card as he did looking the way he did. Yeah, I think so. He, looked, he actually kind of looked bad here, like physically, I mean. Taker gives him like, huge offense as well like he actually lets like he really sells for punk and i kind of yeah. almost got a bit taken out a moment for it because like that's not really realistic he shouldn't be selling for this kind of small kind of but punk's out, offense kind of, didn't look good even no it's kind of slow like he's good mood yeah. but he does them really slowly or something and i thought one of the funniest things i've ever heard was a commentary called punk a my time master 
And uh, given how his pro MMA career went afterwards, yeah. they really got that one wrong. Didn't edge too well. Punk cleanly kicks out of the last ride in this match, which I thought was mm-hmm. uh, big props. Uh, he doesn't need much cowardly heel work to go toe-to-toe with Taker in this either. So Taker's given him a lot of respect. Punk goes on about not getting any respect in WWE. This is why he left. You know, never got to the big level. But you know, when you're getting... When you're, you're getting, kicking out with the last ride, you're kicking out, cell kick, match, exactly. Taker's selling your offense. You're not doing too much cheaty, kind of cowardly heel work. Yeah. And then, okay, you lose via the tombstone eventually. I, I don't know. Top punk but there isn't got, a whole lot you can do in a cell match if nobody's going to jump off the roof, to be perfectly honest. It yeah. got very repetitive very quick to just bash each other off the side of the cell from like the third minute to the ninth minute. Yeah. I don't know. After watching Batista and Edge matches where both guys also worked as heels, I'd go as far as saying that they'd worked 20 times better matches than yeah. Punk did in this. Not even comparable. Yeah. And I'd watch the Batista match again like a million times more than I'd watch this Punk match. Think of the environment these two men are in. Never being in it before. The pressure and the, that it puts on one mentally and physically. As Punk has, a, has an asset in his right hand, that steel chair. This is Punk's Super Bowl tonight. And he's performing very well in his biggest ever match until that moment. A big boot right into the chair. And now, The Undertaker. Look out, ladies and gentlemen. Up and down. It's a choke slam. Hook. Spine first on the pine of the ring. And CM Punk now is hurting. Undertaker with an opportunity. Going for the tombstone again. And hits it. Undertaker hits the tombstone. The cover by the dead man. Will it be? Yes. A seventh world title for the Undertaker. I don't know about this match. And new world heavyweight champion. The Undertaker. Uh, pretty quick match. This time, Taker would hold the reign for 140 days before losing it to eliminate, um, in Elimination Chamber to Jericho. I don't know. Do you want to talk about this match? I kind of feel uh, it's a bit of a downer after going through the previous two. Yeah, there's actually, but there's nothing to say about the match. They got in the ring. They rolled to the outside after 20 seconds. They threw each other off the cage for seven or eight minutes. They hit a couple of big moves and Taker pinned them. Like, I, I don't think I'm missing that. Well, let's not harp on about it anymore then. Let's discuss how that is actually Taker's final world title win. Is that mental? 2009, 2009, 11 years ago. It's mental. So why didn't he win more, Niall? That's what I want to know. Because he ranks joint seventh for the most world titles, even though he probably had three times the career of some of the people he's joined with. So mm. he joined seventh with uh, Big Show, Bret Hart. Uh, now, that also, that also includes their WCW world title reigns. But he ranks higher than Austin, Nash, Jericho, Book T, Randy Savage, Batista, CM Punk, all six. But this includes kind of TNA impacts, AEW, Japan type stuff. Okay. So I guess what I'm asking here is, is seven a lot? Mm. Even given the era that he, that he went through, he went through an era where there's only, no. only one title belt for a long time? Sorry, yes and no then, right? Because the way things were booked in the early 90s, champions lasted a long time. But then through a lot of the Attitude Era and into the early 2000s, it kind of became hot potato territory. And then for like at least uh, probably, I don't know, I, don't, I haven't done the maths on this, but probably nine of the last 18 years have had uh, two world champions of WWE. 
and to only hold seven during that time. When you get lads like, how many does Edge have? Yeah, 12 or 13 or something. Yeah, Arton has like 15 or 14, and Cena has 16, and Triple H has 14, I think. Roman Reigns probably has nearly seven at this stage. Yeah. I or close to it, like, you know? Yeah, I think he might have more even. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's mental. And like the, I suppose what, you know, with Taker, you can't really judge him on it. And also, does it even matter? Because like, oh. like, like what, what does it mean? You know, especially when you're, you're excluding you know, when people talk about, you know, Triple H has 14 titles, but sure, when you're talking about Jericho, for example, you're saying that he is six, but you exclude his, his AEW title. You exclude the fact that Lesnar won something in Japan. You exclude Impact yeah. Championships for some guys. So it doesn't really... Yeah, yeah. yeah, so the, the, the counting doesn't really matter. Taker then had the streak, which became its own kind of title anyway. It, in, in a lot of WrestleManias, it was bigger than the title. Yeah. Exactly. Like you'll remember streak matches more than you can remember what the title match was in that WrestleMania. Exactly. Like what's, what was the more important match? Uh, Cena versus The Miz or Triple H versus Undertaker? Yeah, Triple H versus Undertaker. Yeah, that, like, that was the main event of that WrestleMania. And then you have to go through the fact that Taker's first six years, he was this attraction that had to fight the likes of Giant Gonzalez mm-hmm. at, Re- at WrestleMania and you know, had to go through Kamala, SummerSlam. And even then in the, even as, as the Taker that we're talking about, this unbelievable worker, he'd still get thrown with Great Cali for a feud for three months. Yeah. yeah. So he like, still had to take on these lads. Yeah. He, I suppose he was kind of the final boss for the big man, wasn't he? The yeah. big man had come into WWE, Kozlov. squash a lot of guys, Kozlov. Yeah, they come in, squash a lot of guys and then lose the Taker. Yeah. Um, and then of course there's the other thing about overexposure you know you don't want to take her you don't want him on TV too much because he's like an attraction same way Andre the Giant was you know put on TV taken off TV so you know up until the Attitude Era again a taker match was deemed quite the spectacle and then when he went away once he came back then in 2007 became that spectacle thing again you know he wasn't I know he was on Smackdown I think 2009 that year with that CM Punk match he had a a serious amount of TV time. And he had a lot of TV time with the Edge stuff as well. You know, that became a, a major feud for that year. I know he disappeared for periods of that year, but that was kind of the main storyline that tied SmackDown together throughout, throughout that year as well. But like, and then I suppose post-2010, after his last title run there that we're talking about, where he, he beat Punk first, yeah. he has been a sporadic performer. You know, he'd show up, he'd do the build-up to WrestleMania. After WrestleMania, he'd disappear for six months. And then he'd wake up in his casket around the Survivor Series and, and start to kind of get ready for Mania again. It became, as you said, the attraction. And it, he never he didn't need the title, though. He was no. the Undertaker. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He, he was above title. When now, I do think that the title itself certainly enhanced the Batista and Edge matches. Uh, I think Taker enhanced the belt more often. Certainly, certainly when Taker would hand over a belt, I know we've got these short title reigns, but you never get the belt in a worse state than before Taker took it. So like Taker took it from Edge and when he would give it on again, it's not that the belt was devalued in any shape or form. So he is a good, he's a good transition champ for any next top guy coming through or, you know, if you want just to get it off Edge, but protect Edge, you want to get it off Batista, but protect Batista, throw him against a Taker because nobody beats Taker really. Yeah, and then if you lose the taker, it's like, it doesn't matter. It, yeah. it doesn't devalue your stock in the slightest. 
And in the case of Batista and Edge, it probably enhances their stock even in, in defeat. So we, we kind of brushed upon it earlier. We, um, the Mount Rushmore of wrestling, we spoke about it, uh, about that card in 2002. Does Taker get on your Mount Rushmore top four guys of all time in professional wrestling? 30 years of Taker? You prepped me for this question. I still don't have an answer. I don't know. You didn't do your homework, Niall. Uh, when you prepped me like two minutes, you, you said, I'm going to ask you this question at the end. A 3 two, one we're recording, by the way. And then you made me talk about it for two hours. Uh, no, basically, like, is he on the Mount Rushmore? Right, okay, so the Mount Rushmore is four people. Yeah. Is he, is Taker, in terms of importance to wrestling, I'm not, not about ability or anything, but just importance. And I'm not going to like go back to some dudes in the 1940s that I don't know, like Jim Landis or George Hackenschmidt or all these guys whose name I know, and I know they were significant mm. in their era. I'm not even going to say Bruno Sammartino, who was a monster draw, because I'd never, I wasn't around. I don't know anything about that era. I'd never seen a wrestle uh, bar like 30, 40, 50 second clips here and there. Yeah. So I'm kind of starting, I suppose, in the 80s from like what's accessible to me. So Flair has to go on to the, to the Mount Rushmore. Hogan. I hate Hogan, but he kind of has to go on to the Mount Rushmore. Like without Hogan, WWE is not the juggernaut it is. Okay. So without Undertaker, it probably still is around the same size. Austin. Similar to Hogan. He's the biggest draw in the history of wrestling over a short period of time, I believe. Rock. Now there's the one. It's the, the Rock or the Rock or Undertaker. We might do an episode on it down the line, Niall, the Mount Rushmore wrestling, professional wrestling, because uh, I think it's an interesting topic. It's something we could uh, pull a lot yeah. more time out of it. But unfortunately, we've no more TV time remaining, Niall. Uh, we've got to cut this one right now. Um, before we go, any final final thoughts? Final Undertaker, thoughts. thirty for thirty. Um, Undertaker, without doubt, he's one of the greatest characters of all time. I forgot how good of an in-ring performer he was. You know, I always loved the Shawn Michaels and Triple H matches, um, but I forgot about the others. You know, because I know Triple H and Shawn Michaels are brilliant workers, but like the Edge and Batista matches are have to be in the conversation of top ten WrestleMania matches ever. Like I, I'm telling, if you're listening, load up the network. Watch the Batista match. Watch the Edge match. I agree with that. That if, if nothing else, that's what this episode has done for me. It's uh, it's got me watching those two matches again because yeah. it's they're not the number in the you know in the top five Taker matches that you might be told to watch. Batista's one probably isn't on it because you're going to end up watching two HBK matches, two Triple H matches, and you'll have one to spare and thirty years of matches after that. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Uh, it just dawned on me, and I know we've run over time here. There's no more TV time remaining, but we have an exclusive interview next week. Any teasers or hints that you'd like to drop? Nevermore. <laughs>